I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Self-Helpful. I'm your guide, Kevin Miller, and I curate the sea of new personal development messages to bring the most influential leaders onto this show. Join me as I question my guests to better understand their counsel so we can all integrate the wisdom into our lives because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. The Self-Helpful Podcast is presented by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping coaches. Visit Ziggler.com. Hello, Self-Helpful listeners. In this episode, I'm back with emotional intelligence expert, Scott Allender, to walk through the seven key areas of life and, of course, what drives him. As you can expect, much of his drive and values and habits come back to his quest for emotional intelligence in his own life. Spiritually, he discusses his tendency to want to control the circumstances of life and his self-deception around the idea that without him, things won't get done or get done right. I relate to that. Relationally, he really wants deep connection and struggles greatly if he doesn't feel he has that. Now, regarding money, he gets into three types of survival relating to Enneagram types. Number one is self-preservation. Number two is social instinct. And number three is sexual and how we must create balance within our natural instincts. This and more coming up in the show. Scott's book is The Enneagram of Emotional Intelligence, A Journey to Personal and Professional Success. And you can tune into him at the Evolving Leader Podcast. Uh, you can also check this episode out in full at YouTube. Just search for Self Helpful with Kevin Miller. Scott, I always enjoy going through these key areas of life, seeing what drives you. This one's interesting as we come off of talking about the Enneagram and emotional intelligence and knowing that you're a three. So mm. uh, with that hat on, I'll be listening and we can we can play with that a little bit as we go through these about the propensities and predispositions. But first one is spiritual. 
So I'll ask you on that one at a high level, what drives your spiritual life and pursuits? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I like to start off with an easy one. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> no small talk with you. Huh? Uh, um, yeah, I feel like it's been evolving a lot um, lately. So... Um, you know, my I you know spent years and years. Um, and, well, I still I still attend church regularly and things, but um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the um, the work I've been doing lately um, with Enneagram has actually pointed me to a different kind of work to do and an engagement with my spirituality. So, hmm. um, you know, I, I I go to a, a Christian church. Um, been, you know, started going to, you know, practicing a Christian faith when I was um, sort of mid middle of high school, um, have kind of gone through different churches and as I've moved around and things. Um, but what's been really interesting for me lately is understanding my type as a three mm -hmm. and the way that my type tends to want to control the circumstances of my life through, mm -hmm. um, I think each type tries to do that, but for threes, um, we have a lot of vanity, right? We have this, we have a lot of sort of self-deception around this idea that without me, things won't get done or they won't get done right. And, um, and also this sort of conflation of what we do with who we are. So what's been interesting has been is that, you know, it's pointed me towards this work of understanding that, um, the, 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 the world, God's, God's design and God's plan and everything is sort of unfolding all around me, not because of me, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, probably more likely in spite of me. So I can rest in that sort of, uh, holy hope and that sort of holy, uh, will that holy law that exists in the universe this is a really kind of conflated answer i can start over if you want something simpler no no this <laughs> but is i man, think it's we're here for the depth okay good so it's been this sort of i guess what i'm trying to say is that i'm seeing the ways that my type has been interfering with my clarity of thought about God and spirituality and, and what that means for my life. And it just feels like lately some of the layers and the film is coming off and wow. my spirituality feels a lot more like a just letting go, right? As opposed to, I was trying to do, as a three, you might imagine, you try to do your faith really well and you try to look like a really good representation of that faith or what have you. And there's just been a lot of stripping that away. And I don't really care what it looks like. And I don't care how it gets defined. And I really want to rest in the, a truer acknowledgement of, of the divine, if that makes any sense. So it's been a lot of releasing and letting go lately. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And you right off the bat, even just with that answer, have me thinking of going through these, well, as I, as I ended our first, you know, our first episode with talking about doing an audit for myself, I'm going to take the test, mm. uh, take the Enneagram again, go through your book and list out, you know, here's Kevin in these areas of unhealth, you know, how I would be in unhealth and 
what I want to be in health. This is another one though, to go through these and go, gosh, how has my being a seven impacted my spirituality historically? Mm. How has it impacted my deconstruction of spirituality, mm. which is where I've been. Sounds like mm-hmm. you have as well. It's interesting. It sounds like most of the folks I have on the show, uh, it's amazing mm. how many of them are deconstructing, but how that relates to my Enneagram, maybe my personality style, my predispositions. Um, I haven't thought about it that way because obviously in understanding that it should help me lean into what is going to be a healthier play or a a healthier place of spirituality or, or where I'm going to find more peace and resonance. Mm. Yeah. That's, I, ha- I haven't thought of that. So thank you. Um, yeah, of course. For pulling that out. And, and, you know, as far as a habitual walking that out, your spirituality, do you have some, you know, daily, weekly, you said you go to church, but some aspects where you say this is a time to uh, give focus to your spirituality. Yeah. I mean, I actually had stopped this past year. I probably, I mean, I didn't go to church for about nine months in a row. Um, cause I, you know, again, I think this sort of acknowledging the way that I get in my own way spiritually and releasing some of my vain attempts at trying to control, um, the outcomes of my life or trying to look and appear a certain way and all the sort of trappings of the three. I, th- I found that my my practice that I mentioned on our first episode together, you know, the practice of um, mindfulness and um, has been really important because, you know, that leads me into even sort of like mindfulness and meditative prayer, um, really stripped down. So instead of like these long, prolonged sort of, you know, blathering prayers that I may have used to, you know, utter, I'm, I'm more now sometimes just after, you know, 10 minutes of meditative practice, I might just, a word might come to mind that I sort of just kind of utter repeatedly and kind of focus on and, and, or a person that I kind of focus on and kind of send up a prayer for, but it's, it's very, it's very stripped back, very simple, simple now. Um, but it feels so much more real. And so that's been kind of my practice, I think is just that discipline. Um, and I don't, it doesn't feel as much like a discipline as, is, you know, oh, it's Sunday, I got to go to church. It's more like a daily desire to sort of sit in my chair in the corner of my office with my candle and my light and my, um, and just, you know, and it kind of usually leads me to a practice of gratitude, which has been really important for my spiritual growth. Um, I lean heavy on my four wing unintentionally. Um, and fours have this uh, tendency to, kind of know always notice what's missing Hmm. which is partly what drives their um their sense of um feeling flawed or feeling like nothing's quite kind of kind of their frustration that living up like that nothing's quite living up to this expectation and it perpetuates this sadness and suffering in them and and having a four wing like that i i relate to that there's a lot of times in my life where i'm like wow that four wing was really strong and so it's easy for me to kind of notice what's missing and it's hard and, and and part of the antidote for that has been um gratitude expression right like naming things yeah. that i'm really gra- grateful for um which has been good because it really kind of starts to affect the heart and i find myself more genuinely 
grateful than I had been for many, many years. Man, that's interesting. So yeah, you've given me a new, a new task to do, uh, to go play with this and, and this concept. Uh, the next category here, Scott, is relationships. And it, you got me thinking about, you know, in your book on, you kind of have your five areas that you focus on self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal relationships, decision-making and stress management. So interpersonal relationships. Now you said you're a three. Is that body, heart or head? That's heart. That's heart. Okay. So that's heart. So you tend to come at heart. So interpersonal relationships. Well, I'll start off where I usually do. And then, but I'm going to, I'm going to dig into a couple of other spots. So what does tend to drive you relationally? What are the values there? Yeah. Well, the tendency for all the heart types, twos, threes, and fours, okay. is to be very relational. Um, almost uh, sometimes to a fault in the sense that there is a greater need for relational connection, especially when we're not really aware of what's kind of motivating us. Like, so twos, threes, and fours very much are about, you know, twos are like always, you know, concerned with. Am I liked? Am I wanted? Am I loved? And threes are like, am I valued? And am I admired? And, you know, am I, am I able, do you, do you validate me that way? And, and fours are, uh, they're a little more inward, but they're, they want probably most of all to connect on a deep emotional level. Hmm. And so what drives me naturally is want, wanting deep connection and feeling really affected by it when I don't have it. Hmm. Um, now, as a three, you know, it's easy to, for years, I put that truth aside and chose to perform and climb ladders and um, do all the threeness stuff as a way to avoid the reality that I am actually a very emotional type. And I really do want deep connection because threes kind of put that aside and pursue goal achievement instead. Having done this work a little bit and waking up to some of the motivations and realities, I've connected at a more deep level that I, I really want that. Um, now that can get overdone, like anything, right? Where it's like when I'm really, really concerned with my emotional connection with people, I can write narratives in my head that um, that I don't have enough of that, or that people don't value me. And you know, there's this this tendency that can happen for all heart types, like this. Like, am I okay? Are we okay? Are we connected? Are we good? So that's the default setting. Um, and it keeps, and it keeps showing up. If I'm honest, it keeps showing up. Um, but I'm recognizing that, um, as we all do in our types, we're, we're all trying to compensate for something that was lacking in our early lived experience. And so, um, when I recognize that I might be feeling, um, you know, a, a deep desire to connect the question comes, do I really need that right now? Is that a, is that, or is there something else that's missing here that, that isn't part of my current reality, if that makes sense? So, you know, yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting. You have me thinking, Scott, on back to our discussion earlier with understanding our type and say, this, this is, you know, this is who I am. This is my truest self. And, and, and it is, it is fine. Now, in unhealth, we, though, go awry in that you know, truest form, in that Enneagram mm-hmm. number. 
we go ride this way. And in health, we go this way. And right there, you kind of gave me the perspective. I want to ask you if it fits, if it's, if it's valid that in that, like you saying, I naturally as, as a three, as mm-hmm. Scott, I really value him and drawn towards deep connections. That's fine. Now, as soon as that deep connection, having that or not having that, or however it's playing out in my current life, as soon as that starts to affect my self-worth, I know I'm off target. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is that fair? Yeah. Well, and it's even, a, 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 a yeah, yes. And my arc was even probably more complex as a three, because most threes, if they don't wake up to the fact that they are a feeling type and they do want that deep connection, will live their whole lives substituting it for achievement and performance, right? So I felt like that's where I was. This Enneagram work has opened me up and made me realize that what I really was after was deep, authentic connection, right? That I'm a relationship type, not just an achiever and a goal-oriented person. So that like opened up a truer expression of self. And then now I'm also recognizing that, um, it's great to, to to acknowledge that and to be connected to that and to live from that place. But like all heart types, twos, threes, and fours, we can over-index on it and start to fall back into traps of feeling less than or unwanted or unworthy or defective in some ways if we don't feel that we're getting the mirroring back of our own value from the important people in our lives. And it's recognizing, oh, I'm just feeling, maybe I'm feeling a little wobbly in my work. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit isolated. I'm, I may sometimes tend to put too much expectation on my wife or on my friends mm-hmm. or something in terms of what they can mirror back to me. And it's recognizing when I'm doing that and like making it, because if I'm not careful, I can make them the source of the problem and say, oh, my wife's not doing X, Y, Z. Right has nothing to do with her <laughs> has to do with it. I'm trying to compensate for a lifetime of probably not feeling that I, you know, as a child, a child, not getting enough mirroring back of my own value. And again, I'm not trying to criticize my parents or anything like that, but just my own need, not feeling that was fully mirrored back to me has informed a narrative that then if I'm not careful, I can continue to project that onto other people and want them to give me what I'm lacking. And that's not their responsibility. And now I can't even remember what the original question was. Who cares, man? I want to. I, I want to go right here. I want to keep going there. You know, that question of self worth. I'm sitting here thinking. I I have keyed in. It's even a part of my book on want versus need. Mm. And I want celebration. I, I I admit that while we've been talking here, I figured out what I want for dinner tonight, and and I, if I need to get anything on the way home. And what we're the heart do, type? I'm going. You weren't really listening. You were thinking about dinner. <laughs> well, I'm the thinker, so I connect to me. Connect to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to connect over dinner. So that's just it's a round there you circle go. here. There you go. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know want versus need. But if I if I if that is a need, like man, if we can't have that you know, celebratory thing, then I, I, I can't be okay. Or if I'm doing it because I'm in pain, I'm in pain mm. and I've got to, I got to do that. Or, you know, I could, mm. for me, I could go on a run, I could do whatever, but want versus need. So for you with the deep connection to go, okay, Scott, you are three and you want deep connection. You're never going to not want that 30 years yeah. from now, you're still going to want that. If you're in perfect health, 
enlightenment, nirvana, whatever, <laughs> you're still going to want deep connection. But is it fair to say in health, you don't, it's kind of back to the self-worth thing. To question it, if you start saying, I, I, I need it, wouldn't it be in a great place to go? I, I want it. I'm never not going to want it. But I don't, I don't, if I don't have to, if I don't get it, I'm not devastated. I'm not less. I'm not lacking. What do you think? Yeah. And yes. And thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. 
Air Doctor. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. I think when I'm healthiest, I just focus on connecting to other people. Right. I, I, fo- I do the connecting as opposed to this. I want your validation back. I need you to connect with me. Right. Interesting. So it becomes less self-serving. Right. So and all the hard types fall into this. Right. So twos, you know, they're the easiest to pick on in this space. I love twos, so I'm not trying to pick on them, but it's just an easier illustration. You know, they're known as the helper or the pleaser, and they're constantly going out towards others to try to figure out who they can help, who they can please, um, who they can befriend. Because unconsciously, what they want is not to actually please befriend or give or help. They want gratitude back expressed to them because that helps them feel liked, wanted, and loved. And so it's a validation, right? Same reason why us threes, we perform or try to impress or we name drop is because we want you to go, oh my gosh. Because then we feel, ah, that's a validation hit. It's like this little dopamine hit of personal worth validation. And so sometimes when I'm wanting deep connection, what I'm actually unconsciously wanting is that hit of, I'm feeling wobbly and inferior some way. And I want you to come along and validate me. So I put my expectation on you as a relationship in my life to do that for me. And so it's, it's a, it's a connection desire turned upside down and kind of selfish and self-serving. Yeah. When I'm actually healthiest, I care less about my own make me feel good and more about what do you need from me? And not in an overdone helper two way, but like, how can I go connect with you and meet you where you're at? And as a seven, like not trying to over-index on my heart energy, like go meet you where you're at. Like go be with you in the way that you need to be. Show up to your dinner in the way you want your dinner to be, because that would meet your need. And that would be me connecting with you where you're at, as opposed to wanting you to meet me where I'm at. Thank you. It speaks to motive, which you talk about blatantly in the book. What is the motive questioning? So I'm going to go forward and do this, seek this out, pursue this. What is the motive? Is it out of fear, pain for me Mm -hmm. running from, or, you know, uh, uh, trying to have, have fun and get out of it or, Am I, and even, yeah, the things that I do for others, am I doing it because I need something back? And for all heart types, you know, in the, in the last, in the last time we talked, we talked about the head triad with the fear being the primary emotion that they're dealing with, you know, for heart types, the emotion right underneath there is sadness. And Mm -hmm. so, and that sadness is often rooted in, they feel, I think the most aware, even if they're not totally consciously aware that they are living at a distance from their truest selves. They're most aware that they're wearing this mask. They're most, and so they're all their strategies in different ways, depending on the type, two, three, or four, is trying to get you again to compensate and validate who they are. And it's unfortunate because all their strategies keep perpetuating 
the, what they don't want, which is, you know, you're going to validate the mask that they wear, the mask of personality, but that they want to know true, what they want to know most is that you see them for who they are. And so, so much of what they're, when they're busy trying to connect with you with that heart energy, so much of that is a compensation for this dormant or at least unconscious sadness. Wow. Um, so getting connected to the sadness is important and it's not fun. There's been a lot of times where I want to put that genie right back in the bottle and kind of go, why did I start doing this work again? <laughs> well, yeah. I and for me as the head type, I don't want to look at the fear. So I'm going mm. to, I'm going to withdraw. Yeah. I'm going to take off. Yeah. Man, no, I, I, I love it. Uh, the next one here, Scott, is health and wellness. What mm. drives you regarding your own health and wellness? Mm. Um, well, it depends on the day. Um, you know, in my personality trapping, what drives me is appearance, right? Like, oh, I'm getting a little too chubby. I've got a little too, you know, I can get very vain about, oh, I need to make sure I, you know, get a, hit a certain weight target. Yeah. I feel like in the last few years that's gone away, um, mostly. Um, and now it's really about... Um, the quality of my, uh, life today. Like it's just the, it's about, you know, uh, the ability, my, my, the clarity of my thinking and the, and the sort of the, the reliance I have on my body and on all of that. So I do feel, I feel like in a pretty good space lately with how I approach wellness. Um, you know, I, I think it's not just about running or lifting weights or doing it. It's about all of it. It's a, it's the meditative stuff. It's the body scans. It's the, um, it's the kind of quality of stuff that I'm reading and, and podcasts I'm listening to. It's the, it is the exercise. It's all of it together. I try to try to be really holistic about it. So what do you just mentioned running and lifting weights? Um, is that, that obvious to you that I do that? <laughs> <laughs> totally obvious, man. It's a dead ringer from that kind of stuff. But is that your physical outlet? Is that kind of the exercise what you do? Yeah. Um, I'm running less cause as I age, my knees not liking the running as much. And, and, uh, there's a lot of Hills around here, but I, I used to love running kind of more than anything. Um, I do a, a kind of a circuit training thing mostly nowadays, like three times a week, I go to this class, um, where it's like, it's CrossFit esque, but it's not CrossFit. It's kind yeah. of a combination of all those things. I feel pretty good. Um, once I get through that, I feel like it really kind of energizes my brain and my body in good ways. So I've been trying to be disciplined about that lately. And on the, well, you know, I do want to say, I mean, you started off saying, gosh, okay, in, you know, uh, kind of an admission is appearance, whatever, as a three performance driven. I mean, that makes sense that it's, mm -hmm. it's the exterior, you know, look, uh, so on, uh, how about on the nutrition side, anything that you adhere to, uh, to dietarily, uh, on the nutrition side? Well, I just started, um, so I don't know if it'll stick, but I'm hoping it will. I've actually just started doing intermittent fasting. Yep. Um, for longevity and for brain health is the two main, main motivations. So I just started doing that. Um, I eat pretty well. Otherwise, I don't eat any red meat, um, mostly because red meat doesn't like me. So I didn't quit it. It quit me years ago. So I stopped eating it. Um, I do eat, I eat quite a bit of things that grow out of the ground. I, I do I, mostly. Lunches or salads of some kind. Um, um, 
protein bars, avocados, a lot of vegetarian stuff, and fish. I do love I do love me some salmon. My wife will make fun of me if we go out to eat. I almost no matter no matter the restaurant, I almost always order the salmon if, unless there's a really attractive you know fish of the day. That's pretty much my go to. Any, uh, some people don't like the word. I like it. I'm actually friends with my vices. I very much, I mean, I'm a set. Come on, man. So any, any good vices? Uh, what do you, what's your, what's your comfort food? Um, I, if I'm somewhere, yeah, in the morning time, I do crave sweets. This partless, this is another reason why I should intermittent fast because if I skip breakfast, I'll, it helps me with this because yeah. if you give me some, you know, pancakes or donuts or something like that, I'm, I'm, I tend to want to engage. What goes, what goes better with coffee than that? Stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a dynamic yeah. duo. Yeah. 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 I remember so, I was, uh, we were vacationing a couple of years back and, uh, this restaurant that we went to every morning cause it was just at this lodge type place, the best, best Belgian waffle I think I've ever oh. had. And I think every morning that vacation, except for once I was eating it. And I remember one time the server came along to take what was basically, I mean, really an empty plate. And I nearly slapped her hand away. I was like, there's like one little bite there. And I like just reactively almost like my, I, I didn't live that one down with my family the rest of the trip that I almost uh, assaulted the server. <laughs> I love that you have a place with, you know, that, <laughs> that favorite thing. I was just in Leadville, Colorado. If, if anybody knows Leadville, it's at 10,000 feet. And, uh, uh, they have a hotel there that's now owned by Monty Moran, who, who we had mm. on the show. He's the one, a former co-CEO of Chipotle. Yeah. So he bought the place, five-star chef, whatever, and they make their own donuts. And mm. it's the best donut I've ever had. And I went there a week ago, sat down for my coffee and my best donut, and they messed them up. She came out. She said, I'm so sorry. Uh, oh, something God. happened or they got whatever, and they were flat. And she said, I'll bring oh. you some anyways. They were total dough, total crap. And so I was, I was, oh. as a seven, of course, I was oh. completely devastated. I still haven't yeah. recovered. So, yeah. <laughs> so everybody send donuts. Uh, next one here, uh, Scott, is work, career, business. What is driving your work today? Hmm. Um, I love working with leaders more than probably anything. Um, their teams as well, but um, anything that, helps leaders um, kind of, well, everything we've been talking about, right? That sort of self-discovery, it doesn't have to be the Enneagram, but that sort of self-discovery of, you know, the impact that they have on the world, you know, and, and how they can show up to their teams in ways that best serve them and help them achieve their commercial value. Incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Um, the last uh, almost three years, been doing a, a podcast called The Evolving Leader and getting to talk to neuroscientists and psychologists and coaches and elite sport and these things. It's been this like front row seat, as you can attest to, to listening to experts in all these different spaces. And it's just been such a, a gift. And I feel so motivated um, in the leadership space. Do you feel, have you been pretty, I mean, you got, you know, books out now. And of course that opens up opportunities. And do you find yourself needing to kind of have some parameters on what you're saying yes to, no to? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's uh, it's mostly been yeses. I have a tough time. This is probably my threeness still coming out, right? Like it, you never you never really transcend at all, um, is that I tend to say yes to too much stuff, if I'm honest. Yeah. 
Yeah. Fair. I mean, I, um, cause I can deceive myself into thinking that I can easily do it all. And there's just enough time. Even when I wrote the book, it was like, that's no problem. I just, in the middle of all the stuff, my day job, everything, I'll just, I'll just write it. I did it, but, um, I have to be careful. I have to always kind of check in with myself and make sure I'm not overdoing it. Well, on that note, then the next category is, is mind, mental health. And I even like to look at mental state. So I've got some questions on that in regards to three, but I'll, I'll just start at the top level. When you look at your own mental health, look at your mental state. What is it that you are driving for there? Um, peace. I mean, I think that that's, you know, that's for me, the, the beacon of, um, well-being for me is when I feel a lot of uh, peace. And I would also say clarity. I can tell when my mind gets a little jumbled. Um, if, if I have anxiety creeping in or if I feel just kind of overwhelmed or unclear about stuff, then I know I'm not in a good mental state. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty consistent with, uh, therapy, like weekly therapy. I'm, I'm still doing that. I, it's been, it's been hugely important. Um, been doing some somatic experiencing therapy, which is connecting my mind challenge, like my mind well-being with my body experience. And so that's been really interesting. So that's been a discipline. Um, but yeah, those are my sort of North stars off the top of my head. I think of what, um, lets me know how I'm doing. What is the daily habit investment or, or things that you find yourself needing to come to, you know, in order to break, like I got to, I talked to, when we talked the first time, I think that I often in my awareness, you know, realize that my shoulders are up to my mm. ears and I'm, I'm kind of breathing shallow. It may be excitement. It may mm. be worry, whatever it is, you know, anxiety is my go-to and, uh, you know, letting down and, and whatnot. And you've talked about meditation as something that you're consistently doing. What else? Meditation is hugely important. Um, I'll tell you what's been surprisingly helpful over the last couple of years is uh, cold showers. I do a lot of cold water exposure. In fact, I'm thinking of taking the plunge on a cold tub and doing yeah. that. Um, I feel like, again, clarity, the sort of... Um, you know, uh, balancing out on anything that might be a little bit of uh, anxiety or anything creeping in. I think that's been huge. It's hard to do this. The showers aren't enough in the South because it's like too hot in the summer. Like right now, the shower doesn't get cold enough. It's like barely, you know, lukewarm. That's a, so. a soapbox of mine when people talk about cold showers. You know, I take yeah. a cold shower in Florida. It's like lukewarm. And you take a cold yeah. shower. My house is at 9,200 feet and we yeah. have a well down there. That stuff is near an ice cube. Yeah, there you go. See that? You don't need the tub. You got the, you got I, the cold outlet. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Well, when you look at, you know, when you look at a, well, I was going to say as a three or any of what you call the heart triad, which was, or, or which is the three, the two, and what else? Four. Three, two, and four. Um, what, what does tend to be, well, you said peace and, and you mentioned anxiety. Does anxiety, what tends to be the Achilles heel of mental health for the heart triad? Hmm. Or is it just unique to the number still? And I'm hesitating because it's such a good question. Um, the Achilles heel. Well, the Achilles heel, I think ultimately is when there's not a recognition of huh. the actual emotional experience, right? So 
twos, threes, and fours are often unaware that they're dealing with a sort of dormant, unconscious sadness or sense of shame. Um, twos also aren't very aware of their own emotions or needs, and they over-rely on moving out towards others to try to get back that validation of self, right? We talked about that. And so the Achilles heel is when they constantly do that and don't actually stop and go, well, what is it that I really need? Or in what ways is my strategy for reaching out to you to try to meet your needs a declaration of the needs that are unmet in me that I don't have the courage or the strength to ask you to meet. So I'm unconsciously trying to meet your needs. So in any time that I think we're doing these sort of unconscious personality strategies, these stand to be the demise of our experience and then lead to um, difficult emotional or mental health. Um, I think you can point to that for all nine types. Um, and it just shows up in a different way. Like head types might actually end up with more anxiety experiences where heart types probably more depressive, although threes because of their hyper performance tendencies would end up maybe with anxiety like I had. Um, so they all have this sort of different experience. So I think the Achilles heel is just a lack of awareness of, again, why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I not really acknowledging in myself that's true? Back to the motive. What, why am I doing yeah. what I'm doing? Yeah, and it has me thinking again about need. Am I doing this mm. out of a need, something I'm trying to fill mm -hmm. through, especially through an extrinsic or, or, or you know, a, another person yeah. as being such of a, a danger? Next one's money, finances, wealth. I like to even put in there, you know, possessions, because uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of it. Uh, what do you find is driving you there today? Well, we didn't get into uh, this thing called subtypes of the Enneagram, and so I'll, I'll be careful not to go too far down a rabbit hole there, but All right. there are three different... If you take the test, or anybody that goes online and takes the CP Enneagram uh, test, it's going to give you a report of your type, but also something called your subtype. And the subtypes are either uh, self-preservation, social, or the sexual, or slash one-to-one. -one. So self-preservation instinct social instinct, sexual instinct, through a sort of alchemy with the motivation of the type creates a subtype. So without going into a lot of detail, because it's a masterclass course to talk about subtypes, I'm a self-preservation dominant three. That's my dominant, that's my subtype, which took, which is why it took me so long to find my type. So by the way, if you're struggling to find your type, it could be because the nine type descriptions that are in most literature don't get into subtypes. And so you'll hear, so for example, all I ever saw described was the social three. I didn't know it was a social three, but the description uh -huh. of a three didn't feel like it fit me. So I put that away and said, I'm not a three. It took me like 10 months or a year to come back to, oh, I am a three because I discovered this thing called self-preservation, which is a completely different coloring. And what the self-preservation three looks more like is, you know, the three wants the accolades, they want the center stage, they want to impress you. But the self-preservation instinct is all about, is my body safe? Do I have what I need? Do I have my, you know, physical and sort of, um, yeah, my physical needs met? Do I have shelter? Do I have food? Do I have, you know, 401k plan? Do I have, like, these are the things that are driving and motivating the three, which makes them a much more subdued version of the three. So. I say all that as a bit of an aside to say the self-preservation instinct in me 
tends to have me pretty risk adverse when it comes to money. Like I tend to be like, I'm not a big, and I'll play the stocks. Um, you know, I probably have missed out on good investment opportunities. Uh, but I definitely have been investing in my 401k and maximizing the company match and doing all the things since my early career to make sure that I'm like building a sort of predictable, uh, reliable, well, quote unquote, money's not reliable, but as reliable as you can kind of infrastructure around finances. Okay. I'm interested on the self-preservation thing because I, I don't know, I don't remember where Scott, but I, I want to say that somebody attached that to me as a seven. Well, Maybe. I wondered because of your your um, focus of attention on dinner every night. <laughs> I did wonder <laughs> that. I'm like, I wonder if there's a little self-preservation going on there. That's fair. I, I never want to be without my accoutrements. You know, like I, I yeah. just got back. I've done a couple camping trips and whatever. And I, I don't want to be, I'm not a minimalist. I mean, if I'm, yeah. even if we're just going on vacation or you're going to beach or whatever, I got the biggest suitcase usually. And it's not, I'm not one of those of like, oh, you know, uh, safety, this safety, that, but I want my speaker and, you know, mm. this bottle of wine. And I want to make sure mm -hmm. I got, uh, I got uh, the shoes for running the shoes for this activity. I want, <laughs> I don't want to be encumbered by anything that I've forgotten like that. But, you know, with the self-preservation again, looking like at fear, um, I don't think that people would look at my life extrinsically and think, oh, he doesn't seem to be about self-preservation, but I am internally. Does that make, is that, is that relevant? Yeah. Well, yeah. So do you want me to indulge two minutes on kind Please. of describing this? A That's little my more? show, man. I get to talk about me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'll just back out a little bit and sort of say, you know, on the last show we talked about. the emotional passion or the emotional vice being the, you know, the primary emotional experience by which all of our other emotions kind of derive from, um, and being the source of a lot of our suffering until we wake up to the reality of it. That's, that's the kind of, that's, let's put that over to the side. That's the passion of type. Then you've got these three categories of survival instincts. So, uh, self-preservation, as I started to say, is all about you know, survival of the body and my, and my physical needs being met. So think about survival out on the Serengeti, you know, it's like you watch an animal, it's like the leaves rustle and they instinctively just move. They don't wait to evaluate. Is it the wind or is it a tiger? Cause that evaluation takes too long and they just instinctively go and they just move. And that's self-preservation instinct. Every animal sort of has it. We have it. Social instinct is sort of survival through others, right? So you could think again, using the animal analogy, you know, if I run at the center of the pack of the herd, I have less chance of being picked off. There's safety in numbers, right? In today's world, it's more like my standing in the group, you know, my, my, my sort of group dynamics. And then the one-to-one -one or the sexual instinct is all about important one-to-one -one bonding. So it is procreation, but I think it's all things kind of that creative instinct. Um, now, we have all three. They're meant to fire their instincts. We don't think them into existence. We don't feel them into existence. They sort of just fire on and off as we need them, and then they go away. At least that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it work, seems to work with animals, unless they have significant trauma. Now, with us humans, we're not so um, blessed as the animals in that way, if you will, because what ours get distorted. So we have a dominant instinct that 
on some kind of level, we felt this need wasn't going to get met. And so we start that that instinct starts to switch on all the time, even when we don't need it to. And it actually steals energy from the others. You end up with this sort of sequence. Mm. And if you do the test that I that we talked about, it'll show you your sequence in terms of so mine, I'm self-preservation dominant, followed by the sexual, and I repress social. So what that means is my dominant self-preservation instinct is firing even when I don't need it to. And my social instinct, which is at the end of the line, it doesn't, even, it doesn't turn on even when I do need it to, right? So part of my growth work has actually been trying to recreate balance among the instincts, recognizing when my self-preservation is firing and it's actually interfering with my life and frustrating my wife to no end. And when my social instinct isn't firing and I need to try to bring back some nurturing. So what happens is the dominant instinct merges through a sort of alchemy with the passion of the type and creates a subtype. Now that starts to look very different. So a self-preservation three and how that shows up versus a self-preservation seven. So think about self-preservation dominant instinct going through some kind of alchemy process with the passion of self-deception, which is three. And that looks like this, like whatever that looks like. And then for you, we talked about how the passion is um, uh, gluttony for a seven. Now, a self-preservation instinct combined with gluttony, that's going to create a whole nother sort of outcome. So your self if we are both self-preservation dominant, our expressions and experiences, that could vary a lot, right? So each of the nine types have that. And that's a, that's a super 30,000 foot overview, uh, an overly simplified view of what subtypes look like. But going back to your earlier question, my self-preservation instinct um, does inform things like, I start thinking about dinner early too. I start thinking about my retirement. I start, th I start thinking, they're not bad things, but there's an over-identification with that stuff. Yeah. Whereas my wife, now she's a four, also a heart type, but she's, she's self-preservation repressed. So it is not part of her. So I've got this overdone relationship with self-preservation stuff. She's got an underdone relationship with it. And over the last couple of years, it's been super illuminating for us to figure out the ways yeah. that that causes us to miss each other, you know? Yeah, I'm so interested. I, I can't wait to take it and to, to dig in further with that. Yeah, my self-preservation means we're going camping and I'm going to have an extra backpack with a five-course <laughs> meal. Because without that, <laughs> what's the point? Uh, so. Yeah. Gosh. That. Okay. I'm, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to dig in more. Um, last category here is interest. And I'm really looking for the quote, non-productive type things that you do, the things that you do that just light you up, that inspire you, that give you joy, fun, play, whatever it may be. It may be a hobby. It could be a, a whatnot. Uh, what are the things that you do activities and whatnot that would fit into that, even self-care in essence? I need more of that, Kevin, honestly. Um, and I talk to a lot of threes that say the same thing because our tendency is not to do things that don't have an outcome, right? Sure. Like just this, this doing something just for the sheer amateur value of it is hard. Um, but I've started, I didn't, I had put down my guitar for years. I started picking it up a few times a week again, um, playing with playing around with it and just for the fun of it, not for any, you know, grandiose visions. And that brings me a lot of, a lot of pleasure. Uh, brought me frustration at first because I forgot so much stuff that I used to know. Um, uh, paddle boarding, sometimes just taking a paddle board out on a lake and paddle boarding, super, uh, super fun. Um, good exercise and just good, 
good for the soul. Um, yeah, being out on the water lately has been more. We, we we were out on the pontoon last Saturday, and it was beautiful, and it just was so centering and so much fun. And I'm I've been threatening to take up golf again, so I might do that. Um, hadn't done that since I left California nine years ago, but I'm I'm thinking about it. Well, I was gonna say you're in Franklin, out on the water. Where you guys go? Um, we go to, uh, there's a bunch of lakes. So we've got a, a, a place down, um, near Tim's Ford that we go yeah. to. Um, yeah. Isn't that where, um, isn't that where Dave Ramsey has a place? I'm told. Yeah. He hasn't invited me yet, but yeah. <laughs> we, we went, <laughs> actually, I've heard that he's got another place uh, there, but back in the day, uh, family, friends and stuff, he taught one of my daughters to ski out there and we had, oh nice family, but I think he's in the new place. But I, I remember, I think yeah, it was, it was yeah. Tim's Ford and somebody else, down there was it maybe Ian? Does Ian have a place there? Somebody else was just talking. And I don't think so. I can't remember, I can't no. remember who it was. Um, well, I feel you out on the water. Man, we love thank- it because it's 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 super. It's it's just far enough to feel like a little getaway, but not so far yeah. that you don't want to go. So we've been loving it. Ah, I appreciate that. Hey, thank you, man. This has been a joy and and just again just inspiring. I feel like it's so hopeful to even hear you in your own journey. That's a continual journey and evolution, though. But to to be finding these places of resonance with our, within ourselves. Um, so man, I'm, I'm excited and I am going to maybe my morning activity. I'm going to go take the, uh, Enneagram, but then, and, and get more familiar with some of the broader aspects or deeper aspects of it. And then again, walk through your book, walk through the list, walk through the, this is me in the unhealth. This is me mm-hmm. in the health and start looking at that and becoming aware uh, or no, I know being aware, uh, and then be, work on the becoming. becoming. So I'll report to you on, yeah. on the becoming. Man, thank you, Scott. Thanks well, for the, the time, the insight, and the sharing. Kevin, thank you, and and just thank you for your show. You, you know, you're making the world a better place with the work that you're doing. So I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. Scott's book is again the Enneagram of Emotional Intelligence: A Journey to Personal and Professional Success, and you can tune into him at the Evolving Leader Podcast. Coming up next, I have Enneagram expert and renowned executive coach Ian Morgan Cron on with me. He was with us. We did a previous series on the Enneagram with Ian. So he's back to join me in co-hosting this discussion on Scott's message and the topic of emotional intelligence. Friends, thank you for tuning into Self Helpful, where I curate the sea of new personal development materials and help you integrate wisdom into your life because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others. 